I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, once again to chapter 5. So again, Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin this morning in verse 13 and read through verse 18. Galatians 5.13, Blue Pew Bible around page 974-975. As I've mentioned over the past couple of weeks, as we come to this section in uh, in Galatians, we come to an an important place. Uh, You know, obviously, as we've seen over the past several months in this letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's critical for us. Paul makes that point. It's critical for us to understand the means by which we come to have a right standing before God so that we're accepted by Him, received, we stand justified in His eyes. That, that's, that's been clearly Paul's main purpose for writing this letter so that we would know justification by faith and by faith in Christ alone. But you know, even the knowledge of that central truth doesn't really do us a whole lot of good unless, unless it works its way into our hearts, into our minds, and into our daily living. And so that's where we are this morning, just like we, we talked about and saw earlier in the book of Ephesians, uh, that we can really so often break books up into two different sections. One that which we need to, to know. We need to first think in a right way. And, and how do we come to that? By, by trusting in Christ, by the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see His Word and come to this recognition. This is the way uh, that things work. This is who God is. This is who we are. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's theology. Uh, it's truth. Uh, but then we come to that part later on where it's applied and where we're called to do the difficult uh, work of living in a particular way. We need that first part, but it's uh, critical that we go to that second part. And that's where we are this morning. Now, when it comes to that very practical question of how we live our lives, uh, Paul wants us to know that when we live by faith alone in Christ alone, that there is a tremendous freedom that we have in living our lives. There is freedom in Christ. It's, a, it's an experience that we have day after day, and, and all of us want that. We want freedom. That's a, that's a word that we hold very dearly. Uh, and so right at the beginning of chapter 5, these words that we've you know, read a number of times in the past, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Uh, so he, Paul, wants us to know this freedom, to see it, uh, and to live it out in our lives. And because that's the case, there are a couple of things that he's got to deal with. Because Paul knows, and we see this going through, through Scripture, we can see it if we look in the church today, Paul knows that when it comes to living the Christian life and experiencing this freedom in Christ, that there are a couple of enemies to that freedom, to living out of that freedom that every one of us has to face. And so Paul's been dealing with one of those enemies, and that is legalism, where instead of a true relationship with Christ, we 
replace it with a, a cold set of rules. This is how you must live. And it changes that true living relationship into something totally different. That's one of the enemies. Uh, and in fact, that's how a majority of people around the world approach God. Uh, not by faith, but by living under the law. So this is the first enemy that Paul deals with here. This morning, we're going to be looking at a second enemy to this liberty that, uh, that Paul speaks about. And an enemy that is all too prevalent in the church today. Uh, I would say, I may be wrong about this, but maybe even more so than, than ever before, that this is an enemy and it's a great danger to each of us. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. I'm going to read the passage, think about that, try to, try to see that, and we'll, we'll see it as we uh, get into this passage. Again, Galatians 5, I'll begin in verse 13 and read through verse 18. Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, these words this morning. Thank you for the understanding that they bring. Yet we know that you call us, yes, to understand, but also to, to apply to our own hearts, to apply to our own lives. And so I, I pray for your help this morning. Open our eyes to see and enable us to see in the, in the very content of our own lives and how we live day after day to, to, to make that comparison to see where we are and what changes might be needed. Are we seeing the Lord Jesus in the right way? Are we walking? Are we living day in and day out out of that understanding? Uh, we do. We pray for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, over the past several weeks, I've been thinking a lot about driving and about driver's license is <laughs> because uh, we happen to have in our family right now what you might call a couple of prospective drivers. Uh, and for anybody that's been through this, anybody that's older, well, you've likely been through it yourself and you may have had children or you may have children now that are, are, are at some point going to go through the same process or, or have been through it. Uh, ours don't have learner's permits yet, but they're, they're taking that first step toward getting them. Uh, and I've been wondering how uh, each of them is going to approach 
this big stuff. And uh, you know, if you look at the the look at the the driver's manual uh, here in North Carolina. It's right here at the very beginning uh, because it's two perspective drivers. It says when you step behind the wheel, you, you must realize that you're taking in your deadly weapon. Uh, and what they're trying to do is open uh, people's eyes to the seriousness of the truth. And so I began thinking about how some of those who are, are, are working to get their license or are prospective drivers, how they really take that to heart. And the first thing that they see, this group, is that they see the responsibility that's there. And they're right. It is a big responsibility. And it looms large. And so typically what they do is they take their time in walking through those steps and getting their license. Uh, and there are probably many of us here who have, who have been among those uh, and found ourselves in that category when it comes to driving. Uh, there may be others of us here, though, like another group. Uh, who, yes, there's the responsibility there, but the first thing that we see or think about uh, when it comes to driving, or may have at one point, was the freedom that's provided when you get behind the wheel of a car. And so that's what we were looking forward to, or for some younger ones coming up, what they are, are looking forward to is that freedom uh, and so they're usually the ones that when their 16th birthday rolls around, that they, they, they are going to be in that DMV office and ready to do whatever is required, get the test taken care of so that uh, they can be behind the wheel. Now, there's something to be said for both approaches there. But think about that person who is focused upon the freedom that comes. And think about that day when they're they're given their driver's license. They're handed keys. And the freedom is all theirs. Now what does that really mean to them? Well, it may mean this. It may mean that their world changes a good bit because they're able to have the freedom to go at certain times and, and decide when to go and where they're going to go. Uh, and it may open up the opportunity for them to participate in various activities and events that they couldn't have otherwise participated in. Uh, and so we can see in that that there's, there's great freedom for them in having their license. But is there, are there any restrictions on that freedom? Are they able to then just take their license and it becomes a true license to do anything that their heart desires with that vehicle? And the answer that we would give to that is no, of course not. There shouldn't, there shouldn't be that thought in their minds. Uh, they should expect freedom, but restriction at the same time. What are some of those restrictions? Well, they must obey traffic laws. That's what you get taught in driver's ed and in all the preparation. At the same time, many, if they're uh, still uh, a part of a family and they're of growing to be of age, their parents are likely going to have some restrictions that are still placed upon them. 
And also, they can't just drive anywhere that they'd like. There are certain physical restrictions. The car will only go certain places. And then it comes to gas. Gas costs money. And so they can't just drive endlessly. Uh, they, they must find a way to, to pay for it. So there are restrictions. There are limitations that are there. Yet at the same time, there's this wonderful freedom that's there as well. You know, that's a lot like Paul's message uh, that we're reading about this morning when it comes to trusting in Christ. He says, enjoy freedom. He says, there is a glorious freedom, but understand it in the right way. He doesn't mean, of course, that we should live our lives free from any restrictions. Uh, when you received Christ, when you trusted in Him, you are able to live as one who is free from sin, who is free from guilt, who is free from being under, as we read earlier, under the, the, the curse of the law. And here is what he says in 5.1 again, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, the warning there is clear. Don't fall back into legalism. But notice what he says in verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Right there is the encouragement again about the, the, the wonder of the freedom that we have in Christ. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He's warning against a person who says, Christ has already saved me. And so it doesn't really matter how I live now. Uh, I am forgiven. And Paul is saying here, this is just as wrong a path, as wrong a road as legalism is. Now, we often refer to this big word as antinomianism. Antinomianism. Anti against and nomos, which means law. Against law. This is the person who says, I'm no longer under the restriction of, of law. Restriction has been removed. Paul said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And so I'm going to live my life in this way, without restriction, free from restriction. Think about this. If you got your driver's license, and you drove, and, and, and in your mind and in your heart, you were completely free from all restriction, what would happen? Well, at a very minimum, uh, you would probably be a very dangerous person to be around on the road, uh, you may wind up in the hospital, you may wind up in jail, uh, or something far worse than that. But one thing that you would discover very quickly is that that which you thought was true freedom is not freedom at all. Now Paul is giving the same warning here about the gospel. And he's saying, don't try to turn this relationship into a, a license for the flesh. By the flesh, he's talking about the part of us that, that stands against God, that doesn't want what God wants. He's talking about sinful human nature, which remains there. It remains uh, as a part of one who has come to faith. And Paul is saying, don't live according to the flesh. That may seem like freedom, like true freedom, 
But he's saying it's not at all. Now, many Christians live their lives with this mindset, thinking that this is, this is what it means to have freedom in Christ. Maybe you've seen this, or maybe you have thought this way yourself, that I'm a believer. I have trusted in Christ, and I, I know, therefore, that I stand forgiven before the Lord. Therefore, all that restriction that was there before is taken away. He says, live, live free. And so, that forgiveness that I have is guaranteed no matter what. So if I gossip, that's okay, because I'm forgiven. If I'm bitter, that's okay. I'm forgiven. If I look at things on the internet that I shouldn't be looking at, that's okay, because I stand forgiven. Drunkenness, stand forgiven. The gospel is glorious, isn't it? It's freedom. It frees us. Now, if that is your understanding of Christian freedom in any sense, then Paul is warning us here. You've got it wrong. He's saying that living according to the flesh is not freedom at all. Uh, he's saying here that Christian freedom is not it's not that. It's not, a, it's not a, a license to live in any way that you want. Christian freedom is a, a matter of who you now obey. That's what determines whether or not we experience true freedom. And so Paul speaks here about walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. And he's, he commands us to walk by the Spirit and therefore not by the flesh. And, and he's saying, which one will you obey? Which is going to be your master? And he says something similar in verse 17 where he speaks about being led by the Spirit. You know, he's drawing a distinction there between this way or this way, being under this rule or under this rule. So what we're going to do is take a look as we go through this passage about what he means by walking by the Spirit and thereby experiencing freedom, Christian freedom, true freedom. So he says, walk by the Spirit and you will experience, and the first one is you will experience freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. And here's the key that I'd like us to be reminded of as we uh, look at this passage. That the believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him or inside of her. And that has tremendous implications for daily living. Now that's, that's something that, you know, I, I think it's very likely that you may not think about a whole lot, but you need to, and that's what this is calling us to. When Paul speaks here about walking by the Spirit or about being led by the Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being actively engaged in a person's life, leading you and guiding you day in and day out. We have certain choices that we make daily, decisions that we must make. Uh, and there is a way by which we can make those choices, and it's, it's following the leading of the Spirit. Uh, knowing what the Spirit has, has uh, led us to, because we want the things of God. That's what the, the Spirit does inside of us. Uh, when it comes to, what am I going to do with my time? For this week, am I led by the Spirit 
or am I under the desires of the flesh? Look at verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the desires of the flesh are that which arise from our sin nature. Uh, and I, I'll just remind you here that he's speaking to the believer and only to the believer. Now, some, some passages call this the old man or the old nature. And it's speaking about a, a pull inside of us or a, a, a craving, a passion within which continues to stand against God. Now, think about the person who is without the Holy Spirit. What are they inclined to do? Well, if the Holy Spirit isn't there, they are inclined to, to, to follow that way, to follow that pull, to follow the sin nature. But with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside, it's completely different. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There's a war that's going on within the believer. A battle. And the believer has begun to want the things of God. But the sin nature is there. And it stands against this. And, and therefore, there's this war that's going on. Uh, this battle. Remember when we read uh, in the confession earlier in our service. Uh, the, the, the chapter on sanctification, the first, uh, first paragraph said in it, So there arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's what this passage is talking about. Now, I want to ask you a very important question. That is, do you experience this in your own life? Do you know this this war, this irreconcilable and continual war, this battle, this struggle in your own life. Now, the object of it can be anything. Uh, do you know particular sins? So it can be gossip. It can be anger. It can be a sexual sin. It can be substance abuse. It can be lying. It can be pride, on and on. But whatever it is, do you know in your own experience, that there is a continual and irreconcilable war that's going on within you. Because if there is, I want to give you some encouragement. Because this is clear evidence of the Holy Spirit at work within you. The presence and the work of the Spirit. Now what Paul is telling you to do is to obey the Spirit, to submit to the Holy Spirit, to look for this battle as it goes on, and to engage in it, and therefore, by the Spirit, to put that sin to death. Now, I would liken it to working with a specific doctor, let's say, like an, an oncologist. It could be any kind of, of doctor, let's say a specialist. Uh, and, and here it is, to, to target the cancer, to destroy it. Now, you can sit idly by, can't you? Never make the doctor's appointment say, I just don't want to deal with that. I don't think I need to deal with that. And continue on and live your life. But if you do that, what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing is going to happen with the sin. But if you're about 
removing the cancer. You get the doctor engaged. And think about it, for you and I, we've got the best possible surgeon with the greatest expertise and the greatest power for sin removal. And what is the result coming out the other end? It is freedom. You know, John Calvin said this. He said, if you would obey the Spirit, we must labor and fight and apply our utmost energy. What is he saying? He's saying, we can't sit idly by. Now, I know one question that must come out of this, and that is, well, if there's a war going on inside of me, how do I know which side is going to win? We can think about the war in Ukraine. You've got Ukraine, you've got uh, Russia. How do I know which side is going to win? There At times it seems this way. At other times it seems this way. We've got the same thing. Uh, so how can I know? Well, uh, we can know if the Spirit is not present. We know there really isn't a war at all, right? The, 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 the flesh is already won. It's, everything's been given over to it. But if the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you, then things are different. And the regenerate person has the power and has the strength of the Holy Spirit working inside. Let me remind you what the confession said again on this, because I think it's very well stated. This is in the the, the third paragraph. It said, although in this war, that's the war we're talking about, the remaining corruption may strongly prevail for a time. What it's saying there, it may be extremely difficult, extremely challenging. It's a true war. Yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying Spirit of Christ, the regenerate nature overcomes. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, it's it's not saying that sin will be completely removed from you this side of the grave. But what it is saying is that there will be, if the Holy Spirit is at work, an ongoing victory over sin. Sin will be put to death as we engage with that sin. And what wonderful, wonderful encouragement that is. Uh, listen out of, out of Romans chapter 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You're not under law, you're under grace. It's, it's not you doing the work, it's God doing the work within you. This should provide that greatest sense of comfort that for the believer, sin will not ultimately reign. And even though there are challenges, even though there are difficulties, even though there are setbacks in this struggle, we can trust in the Lord. And we continue on with the fight. And so this should be part of the makeup of our, of our prayers. Uh, what is it? What is the sin that besets you in the greatest way? Maybe it's two. Maybe it's three. What is it? Do battle with it, knowing that the Holy Spirit is there at work doing the sin removal. Trust in God as you seek to put to death that sin. And what's the result going to be? More and more freedom as sin is conquered. And remember, why we have that experience of great freedom 
It's because if the Holy Spirit is within us, we begin thinking more and more in the ways of God. Our will is oriented toward God. We want the things of God. And so as that sin is put to death more and more, what do we experience? Joy in that freedom that we have. You know, I, I think about some of the pictures you may have seen of, of uh, Ukrainians in the Donbass region that uh, when, when their region was uh, liberated, they were celebrating with great joy and, uh, and, and there was this sense that I am no longer under the, the oppression that I was under before. Now that doesn't even begin, I think, to, to speak of the, the freedom that's experienced by the believer as he or she is set free by the Holy Spirit of God. First, Paul Secondly, if you walk by the Spirit, you will experience freedom to serve. Now, I want to remind you here of that irreconcilable war that's going on within the believer. Yet again, if the Holy Spirit is not present there, isn't, isn't engaged, then what is it that's at work within the person? Well, it's the desires of the flesh. And so what do you think a relationship with others is going to look like when a person is trying to serve, if that is the case? They're trying to serve others. Well, it's probably a lot like what we find here uh, in Galatians that was evidently the experience of the people. Look, at, look with me at verse 15. Paul says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now clearly there was conflict between these people. Conflict that likely came from, we all know this, we've experienced it, from envy, from competition, from gossip, amongst them, and no doubt it was, it was ugly. Uh, there were angry words that were shared. There were hurtful things. But notice, this was taking place in the context of the church. In other words, there's great hope. Now, anywhere else that this type of thing takes place, one of a few things is likely to happen. One, they just, the, the, the members, those who are in conflict, just sort of agree to be there together even though that enmity, that conflict still remains between them. Their hearts are hardened toward one another. Or, what happens often, they just go their own separate ways, doesn't it? Uh, or, they might have been told, well, overlook things because of your friendship with one another. Just somehow make it work. What's the problem with that? It's going to happen again and again and again. None of those are the solution. But look at what Paul, how he addresses this situation in a completely new and different way. And notice that it is because of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit that there's this difference here. Paul says again in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. In other words, don't obey the desires of the flesh. Don't allow that to dictate how you relate to one another. 
out of your corrupt nature, but through love serve one another. What's Paul talking about there? He's talking about relating to others, loving others, out of the selfless love that comes from a person who has come to know and to love and to adore the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there was one commentator that put it this way. He said, it's the kind of love that enables me to love my neighbor spontaneously and instinctively as I love myself. And notice, that's what Paul speaks about next. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this is a love here that liberates because it's not coming from me. It comes from outside of me. This is the Holy Spirit at work within me, enabling this. You know, I think you'll see that in this quote uh, from Martin Luther in which he speaks about what it means in practical terms to serve one another in love. He says this. He says it means performing unimportant works such as the following. Now, that's unimportant to the world. Teaching the erring, those who have gone astray, comforting the afflicted, encouraging the weak, helping the neighbor in whatever one can, bearing with his rude manners and impoliteness, putting up with annoyances, labors, and the ingratitude and contempt of men both in the church and state, obeying the magistrates, treating one's parents with respect, being patient in the home with a cranky wife and an unmanageable family, and I would add with an unbearable husband and the like. So what, what's Luther speaking about here? He's speaking about serving one another out of a love that the world cannot fathom. The world can't even understand it, um, which the world knows little about. And so the question, of course, is where does this kind of a love come from? You remember what Jesus did? John chapter 13, the night uh, before, or that the night of, uh, His being in the garden, the, the next day He went to the cross. Remember, He came to His disciples as a servant. And He knelt before them, and He took their shoes off, and He washed their feet. And you remember what He said in terms of how He explained his actions. Uh, he said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And you know, everything that he was saying and doing, he was, he was saying it as a precursor to going to the cross. And he was really saying there, if you see and you understand my love for you and how I have demonstrated my great love for you, the sacrifice that I have made for you, then you also ought to love in the same manner. And you know, he, he said essentially that in the same setting. A little bit later, John chapter 15, verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know how wonderful, how amazing. He was speaking about 
His gift of love, His gift of grace. The Son of God coming here upon the earth and laying down His life for those such as us. Now this is what true service within Christ's church flows out of. It must flow out of. It must flow out of the great love which has been shown to us. And it must be enabled. In other words, is empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit who helps us to see and to know, to recognize that great love that's been shown to us. That's why Paul says, you must walk by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to see that great love and therefore to walk, in other words, to, to live, to orient ourselves, to go in a certain direction, the direction that the Holy Spirit leads us. You've got to ask, how often do we serve out of our own flesh and then wonder why the results are so meager? The real question here is back to that question. Who am I obeying? Am I obedient to the desires of the flesh? Is that what I'm under? Well, if that's the case, then I'm only concerned about myself. And there is a profound lack of freedom when we're only concerned about ourselves and our own needs. And the result is that I'm, I'm really completely unable to serve others because I, I lack that empowerment and I'm, I'm completely focused inwardly. On the other hand, if I'm yoked to Christ... And the Holy Spirit has opened my eyes to be able to see and to know and to understand all that's been done for me and to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what happens. I see what He has done. And so, on that basis, knowing my own self, seeing my own sin, I voluntarily give myself to Him. And I know that out of His love for me, Therefore, I can begin, begin to truly love others. That's freedom. There is true freedom in that. I'm no longer enslaved to my own selfish desire, but now I'm liberated to serve others out of the love that's been shown to me. Now, that's, that's what Paul is calling for here. When he says, through love, serve one another. So there are two particular ways that we can see here that we experience freedom when we walk by the Spirit. Now, not out of an unrestricted freedom. Not out of a freedom that says, I can, I can just do anything that is before me to do. No, because now I'm under a new master, right? I was under the old master, but now I'm under a new master, which is Christ and in obedience to Him, I'm led, I follow the Holy Spirit. And based upon following the Spirit, I am liberated from enslavement to sin. How? As that war takes place within me. And I engage in that war and, and, and sin is put to death day in and day out. But secondly, we are freed to serve others out of love, out of the love that's been shown to us. And together, this is the freedom for which Christ has set you free. This is the freedom that Paul is calling for us to make ours and to know 
day after day. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the great resources that you've given us. And we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit and that we are not left to ourselves, but that the Holy Spirit comes from outside of us, inside, and does that work of opening our eyes to be able to see, uh, of changing our will, that we begin to want something that's completely different. We begin to want the things of God. And the Holy Spirit gives us that ability to love, to love out of a love that has been shown to us. Yet we have to say, Father, that we often don't see it that way. We often don't uh, engage ourselves. We don't look to the Spirit. We don't recognize that the Spirit is present within us. And so we pray for your help. And we pray that day after day, uh, you would help us to hold on to these wonderful truths and to know with certainty the presence of the Spirit within us and then to live out of that and to come into greater and greater fellowship with you as sin is put to death within us and we draw closer. We pray for your help. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.